Jessica show here coming out of speakfreeradio.com. It's good to have your company. Today's date, Wednesday, the 12th of April, 2023. That's right. <laughs> good evening, everybody. I've got a wonderful guest for you this evening. Um, this evening, we have Helen Mantle, who is an award-winning hypnotherapist, energy healer, natural psychic, spirit release practitioner, and lifelong experience of paranormal activities. Um, you can see I found that somewhere, Helen, on one of your pages. You did, but, did. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Helen. It's good to Thank have you back you. again. Thank you, Shelley. It's lovely to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's been um, an epic few years, I'm sure, as it has been for everybody. But, yeah, I'm doing really well. Epic. That's a good... Yeah, it's lovely to, when people are so confident and, like, well, you're not going to sit there on live radio and say, well, actually, I feel like shit, are you? You're just no, no, but I genuinely don't. I'm not lying. <laughs> no, I know you're not. You're always... You're just... You're one of those people always bursting with energy and um, raring to go. And like I said to you yesterday, it's uh, hard to decide what to talk about because you've got so many bows to your ribbon. And you made me laugh because you said that's like your ADHD. And yeah. do, you, do you... Have you been diagnosed with ADHD? Yeah, so... Well... My son was diagnosed. I went along to um, the session and they've always, I mean, my parents used to talk very much about how my mum used to say, you want to know the ins and outs of a gnat's backside, right? I wanted to know everything about everything. I was on the go all the time, um, could retain ridiculous amounts of information and exhausted everybody around me. But my son was is neurodivergent as well. He went for the assessment and they said, I think you might benefit from having an assessment yourself. So I went along, I didn't actually, to actually get an assessment in the UK, you need to see a psychiatrist. But I went to see a woman with a PhD in educational psychology who took me through the same process. So I didn't need it for anything else. That was good enough for me, but she was pretty affirmative that that was what was going on. I'm just, I'm just interested in general because we, we have all these diagnoses for everything. And I, I think I've got a bit of ADHD. I think we've all got a bit of everything, but my interests like yours, um, all of the things that like all of your qualities they're all great qualities that i'm interested in as well so many and it's funny that some of our friends are mutual and like um you're good friends with helen and i've known helen for quite a few years now and it's like wow you two know each other and it's just um yeah it's energy and we're going to talk about energy tonight and it's uh amazing how we find these people that are like so much like us isn't it really oh definitely and that community is so important especially now especially in this kind of divided world where everybody's been really dysregulated through the experiences that we've gone through, that those communities are crucial. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, so what are you doing with yourself at the moment? Gosh, well, it's been, it's, uh, it's like I say, it's been a bit of an epic experience for the last few years. So what wasn't mentioned in that, um, in that bio was that my background's also in nutrition. So I've got a foot... Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, it's fine. No, it's, it's not on there. It's, it's in, in two very different worlds. And at the beginning of the whole COVID experience, I very much went back into nutrition because I could see a lot of people around me that were very frightened of what was going on, that were living in huge fear. And for me, nutrition was something that they could take, that we could package, we could kind of deconstruct what would help create optimal health, deconstruct that, offer that as a strategy for um you know, for helping them maintain optimal health at this time, this, this kind of crazy time. And I've 
when you're in that world, you have to very much put the academic hat on. Otherwise, you know, it's like you get blown out. You get blown out of the water if you haven't got a, a PhD in in whatever kind of really hardcore biological subject anyway. But even if you're, you're fairly science-based with nutrition, you still get blown out of the water. So to do what's a huge chunk of my life with that spiritual aspect, I wasn't actually really able to do. And I felt like I was shutting half of that down just in order to get a message out and, and not be really shot down in flames for having this side that, you know, mainstream considers really woo And I can't do that for very long. So I've moved very much back into that, integrating really the, the spiritual aspect and the physical aspect and creating the bridge between the two so that we can help people to tap into their ability to create optimal spiritual physical and emotional well-being so that's that's the long overview and we're offering we're also creating community so i'm focused on creating a community for people to tap into their own intuitive and healing abilities so they can really really access that side of themselves because you you run a facebook group don't you have like weekly meditations online and stuff yeah so um we've got the enchanted community we have a free weekly meditation group because Medi- I mean, meditation is brilliant, not just for accessing that kind of capacity to connect to the spiritual stuff. Do you meditate also. regularly then? Really regularly. And it took me years. Tell, tell, us, tell us your how you go about meditating, because it is a discipline, isn't it? It's a huge discipline. And if you've got a brain that likes to go up, I always think my brain's a bit like a, a spring spaniel on a scent. And it goes <laughs> from these major tangents, then eventually comes back to where it was supposed to be going. Um, yeah, it's really, really difficult. So how I started in meditation is probably a really good thing to, to learn if you've got that really active brain. And I had to start off with what was called guided imagery. So that's using your imagination constructively, you know, imagining you're going down to a beautiful lake and taking in all the scenery, which is not technically meditation, but it's a, it's an access Like point. visualization. Visualization, yeah. And then I got very much into breath work. So I did a lot of training of breath work and how you can carve your biology and your your neurology with breath work. So lots you can do with that. And then, yeah, just more traditional mindfulness-based techniques. So it depends on the day, really, but I'll I'll use an amalgamation of all of those things. And and do you think that's what keeps you sane? Oh, God, it's debatable, isn't it, as to whether... How long (laughs) have you (laughs) been No, it, it's but, something I, I have all these things I think yeah it's it is literally about creating time for yourself to do this isn't it yeah yeah but it the is. rewards I mean years ago I was really into it and stuff but what when do you do you have a set like routine each day when you meditate so I always do some before I go to sleep and I do some when I get up and it's not a huge amount of time it's just 10 minutes is enough and um, at each end of the day sometimes I might do some more but just 10 minutes is enough to actually make a huge difference to to your whole biology, to the way your mind's working, to the way you're interacting with the world. So yeah, about 10 minutes a day, twice what a day. Do you, what do you believe it achieves then? If you put that oh God, I mean, there's so much evidence uh, for what it achieves. So what it achieves to me personally or what it achieves yeah, well, on, a, on a science basis? Personal and both. So what it achieves to me personally is just creating some space between me and whatever's going on in my life or in my mind or even in my body and that space gives me time to sort of respond to things rather than react to things so it, it's it just gets you into that kind of relaxed rest and digest safe and social space where you, you just make better decisions 
and and it feels good too. It sends yeah, it sends a cascade of chemicals that just feel really good, especially in a world where we're constantly on the go all the time, constantly you know looking for the next distraction. It's it's a really good discipline to get into, but that biologically, just in terms of evidence, but it does so much. I mean, it improves things like blood pressure, resting heart rate, um, helps to regulate your central nervous system, your autonomic nervous system. Um, it can improve immunity. It can improve digestion. And it also helps you to get into this kind of front part of your brain, which is the regulating part of your brain, the part of your brain that makes good decisions rather than that reactive, panicky, fight and flight part of the brain. It's not as easy to do though. You know, people have got a history of trauma or a history of profound anxiety, it, it can be really difficult. So I really suggest people get guidance with that if that's been their experience. And when you meditate, Helen, um, do, are you more concentrating? Or, well, how, how do you explain how to do it? I love hearing people's different ways because I tend to concentrate just on my breathing. If my mind wanders, then I try and bring it back. But do, do you so, have a specific way? So breathing is one of my main ways. Breathing is a really good access point to meditation. It's something that you can really focus on, something that you can, you know, when your mind wanders, because your mind will wander, the nature of the mind to think that you can guide it back onto that path again and you can kind of just keep bringing it back to your breathing so breathing is one of the key ways that i get into meditation into that more mindfulness creating that space between me and my thoughts thing again it's not always easy to do some days it will be more accessible than other days some days it will have lots going on where your mind's racing and you have to keep bringing it back to that breath and yeah, my my son-in-law started meditating and since he's been doing it he thinks he can sleep so much better every day sleep problems have gone um i mean have you had like the experiences in meditation where you've suddenly got like i've i've been meditating before i don't i don't practice it much and it's something now i want to write on a sticky note and put above my computer meditate daily along with all the other things i want to do but i would find that i could go like say in the cinema drift off um but almost like meditating and I would see a scene of something, not on the film, in my mind, some sort of message. But as soon as I'm conscious that I'm seeing it, back, back in the room. It goes. Yeah, that definitely happens. And I think you can also discipline yourself to sort of make those images, those thoughts, well, they're not really thoughts, either they are images, last for longer so that you can yeah, yeah. more easily and get more out of them. Yeah, I, I find it frustrating because um, I know that, for instance, like, when I go into, when I'm in that sleep state just before I'm waking up, and I know that um, other people get it as well, I get very, um, my energy, my body is almost vibrating. Yeah, okay. okay. And I try to go with it these days, but I, I don't really go anywhere, but I know that I'm in this state of consciousness that I am in such a relaxed state. Yeah. But quite often when I've been like that as well, I've gone into a very light sleep. But this in this light sleep, it's when I've meet people that have died. Yeah, sure. That, and that I just like, like Yeah, I love it. And I'm like, ooh. Um Yeah, I just think I mean this breath work, um have you um I mean Helen, I know obviously you know Helen, and when I've been with Helen before to like um Eastbourne for spiritual weekends and retreats and stuff. 
there's a guy called Roman Shavov, I think he is, but he's a breathe, he does breath work. And I've never done it before with a shamanic drum. Yeah. And I couldn't believe, he, t- he told us, you know, to concentrate and follow our breath. And it went on for about 15 minutes. And then he told us to look at the person in front of us who we'd partner with. And I looked up and we were both just crying. And I, somewhere, she was like a maternal link to me. And she felt wow. the same. It was the weirdest but most wonderful thing ever in the world. Right. And I suppose just by alter- um, changing your breath work, going into that deep sort of meditation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do, do so, you do much breath work then in like classes you teach and stuff? So in the, I do, I do some in-person classes and we do come, I mean, the mini meditation that we do on the Monday, we do some snapshot kind of breath work techniques. So it's just like five, 10 minutes of, of breath work in that session. But yeah, absolutely. And it really can allow you to access those intuitive parts of your mind where those experiences where we we kind of pick up we receive those experiences like you're describing so i mean i presume because you're in touch with all of these sort of like all these interests were you aware at a young age that there's more to this body than we can see massively so i've always um, i think i saw i've always seen energy from a really young age in fact i was 23 and in a spiritual healing class before I realized that not everybody saw that. I didn't realize that not everybody saw auras or spirit lights. I thought it was just, you know, because you don't know what everybody else is seeing, do you? You're just viewing the world through your own filter. You're viewing the world as you see it. So I, I used to see lights around people and think that was normal for everybody. Um, and yeah, so that from a really young age, I saw my first full-blown manifestation of a spirit person in St. Michael's Mount when I was about six. So my parents had gone over, they worked for a charity in Marazion, and at the time, this was before it belonged to the National Trust, or it was, you know, it's kind of stewarded by the National Trust. And as part of the charity, they could go over to the mount and steward them out for the day, and then they would take um, the money for the charity on the door. So I'd wandered off. I was being, you know, this was this was the early 80s. And kids wandered off and nobody worried about where <laughs> you they could were. Do things, it was yeah. you could do whatever you wanted. And I've wandered off and anybody that knows St. Michael's Mount, there was the, the kind of map room at the top, it's a long corridor, a big sweeping staircase. And at the end of a shorter corridor, there's something called Garrison's Forge. And there was a big a staircase out of that, but it was blocked with beams. It has been for about 60 years from what I understand. And I was stood there and it was really weird um, experience it was like time stood still but I don't know if you've ever had that experience it's like this this strange stillness it's really hard to describe and a chap I just you know it's a real cliche long black cloak and there was something about him that was just not right but I can't I couldn't put my finger on it It was very little obviously walked past and went into the room nobody else around there's no way for him to get out and I remember standing outside for a while and then going in and he just completely disappeared. He hadn't walked past me. It was a very small space. And I went and told my dad and they were like, you know, those nonsense. And I looked for that, uh, any kind of reference to that for years. Couldn't find anything. And eventually found um, a reference in a Ghost of Cornwall book in the works, actually, in Penzance, probably about 10 years ago. But it took me that long to find any reference. And apparently he was a very distressed monk. And it's probably a replay, so it's probably like a... I don't know if you know about stone tape theory was my feet because there wasn't any interaction with him but 
um, you know, whether a memory kind of gets caught in the yeah, stone yeah. and then replays like a stone tape. So that was that. But yeah, multiple, multiple experiences um, growing up to the point where it was just became really normal for me. I mean, I was scared. I remember being really scared as a kid. Um, and then we sort of integrated that. It dropped away in my teens, as it does for a lot of people. You get into boys and going out and nightclubbing and whatever, it kind of disappeared. Then in my mid-twenties, I became really, really ill. And I spent two years in this, I can only describe it as a liminal space. So I was so ill, I was basically stuck in the house. I couldn't walk properly. Um, I was told that that was going to be a lot for the rest of my life and, and I should just really get used to it. Just what drove my me to go down this healing route and to kind of want to get to grips with every aspect of healing that I could. And in that time I had that it was like a spiritual awakening. I couldn't filter it out. And it became a, a daily occurrence to see things, experience things, have my first mediumistic experiences at that point. And uh, yeah, so that was, it was all about integrating that and now helping other people to integrate their experiences, particularly if they're scary. Some of these, you know, when we don't understand things, they can be confusing, frightening, and actually helping, reassuring people around that and helping them to integrate their own experiences a major passion. So you cured yourself, I'm presuming. What was your diagnosis? So initially it was ME um, and it didn't quite fit. So I, I basically got home one day. I'd been, I'd been going down with every virus going for ages. It was just constantly low, ill, fatigued. Got home one day and I just couldn't leave my legs. And um, at the time I was living in a flat. My mum was looking after my son because I'd been at work and she was upstairs and I, I just got to the bottom of the steps and my legs wouldn't work. And I was like, I can't, I can't get upstairs. And my mum's a nurse. I don't know if anybody's got nurses in their family, but they're not the most sympathetic if you're ill. <laughs> but you literally have to have limbs hanging off. And I said, I can't move my legs. And she said, oh, don't be so ridiculous. You've just got a virus. And I was like, no, no really, I can't move my legs. Right. And it gradually got worse. And um, and then, I mean, I'd never been well, actually. I'd always been really allergic. I was always a kid that had to have a week of school every three weeks because I had something going on. You know, there was, there was always that that kind of sickly kid. But yeah, this was, um, so it, it gradually got worse. Uh, all sorts of symptoms, like undescribable, my pulse would go up to 160 beats a minute on standing unless I lay down and faint. Uh, yeah, trying to just body went into complete meltdown. Later on, I found out there was a genetic connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which kind of can feed into all these symptoms as well um, and was diagnosed with that. So that, so I haven't cured myself, but I've got to a point of optimal health where, um, you know, I live a full life and I never will cure myself because it's kind of, it's part of my sort of inherited biology. But yeah, it's um, it's definitely much, much worse. Ninety percent better. Good. It must be frightening. I can't imagine not being able to feel or move your legs. You know, it was, um... it was terrible, absolutely terrifying. I used to literally remember lying there at night, thinking, "I hope um, if if I die in my sleep, I literally hope my mum can't find me before my son does." It was that literally that scary. Lying there with um, you know, the crazy arrhythmias and very, very strange neurological symptoms and coordination, extreme pain, um, glands everywhere, just all sorts of body meltdown going on. But yeah, in that state, you can't filter stuff out. 
So if you are sensitive anyway, it's like you haven't got the energy to distract yourself from those experiences. So those for a time got really loud. But yeah, that was um, that was that experience. Yeah, that's something I've never thought about before, actually, if you're highly sensitive, that that's probably why you suffer a lot more than um, those that aren't sensitive. I think there's a really big interaction. As you look at those interactions between things like being neurodivergent and having things like those chronic you know, illnesses and things, they all seem to overlap and allergies. And there's a lot of a lot of overlap between those. Right. So um. We were, we were like saying what, what, what we're going to talk about and stuff. Um, so you were saying all the things that you've been doing and now you, you're pivoting back basically to energy work. Yeah. And you're, you're um, fascinated. You, you're trying to find that knowledge that bridges the gap between science and spirit. Yeah, that's the thing. Because I think we've, um, we've been very much in one camp or the other. Aren't we? People tend to be, I, I find this is a gross generalisation, but they're either very much in the spiritual camp and or very much in the physical camp. And I like I like the bit where the two things meet and how do they overlap and how do we how do we work that out? How can we deconstruct that so that we can you know we can gain that knowledge and understand it. So so make sense of that for me, sorry Helen. Um <laughs> the the knowledge that bridges the gap. Is, is that then more for the people that they, you know, they don't understand the spiritual side of things. Uh, no, for me, it's just it's a major passion. So, I, if you think about, um, I don't know, sort of quantum physics, and I'm no quantum physicist. My my knowledge of quantum physics is overview territory. But if we think about that that knowledge of how, you know, for years these experiences that we've been having that have been written into mysticism, science is finally beginning to catch up with that. And I think that's, I just think that's incredibly exciting that we can start to get some evidence behind these things that, you know, that people have been experiencing for millennia, well, forever. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately that then is, is all down to our energy. Yeah, it's all, it's all energy. It's, it's absolutely all energy. And that's, you know, that's not woo-woo. That's, that's basic physics and chemistry. It's all, we're all energy. And yeah, how and that is is just fascinating. And it, and it's those little concepts, isn't it? Like um, I did, I, I trained as a, um, a faith healer quite a few years ago. Um, I'd broken my leg; I was very depressed. And there was a little shop in the back of the street, and um, there was a, it's a little spiritual shop that did gems and stones and everything. Always wanted to go there, but never had the time. Anyway. I was hobbling by one day on my crutches and um, I thought, right, I'll go in here now. And I went in and this lady, she was such, you know, when you like come in and you've got this wild spiritual lady and that's all you needed, someone to say, you've come to the right place, my love. And I was in there for an hour chatting about stuff. And then she said that they were starting a new healing course in two weeks time. And I was like, yes, I've got to do it. And not that I wanted to be a spiritual healer. I've not actually really used that. It was more of a training myself about energy, chakras, all that sort of stuff. And I did it. And, well, you just grow. And then one thing just leads on to another, doesn't it? And, I mean, I was already, <coughs> excuse me, chairing the spiritualist church weekly, having regular spiritual events and stuff like that. And it's a part of me that misses that at the moment, actually, because I feel like I'm seeking something and interestingly um well it's not interestingly really (laughs) 
your friend Helen, our friend Helen, when I was feeling very low four years ago, I decided that I was going to do my Reiki level one and Helen was my Reiki teacher. And it was fascinating trying to find that half an hour a day to do your 30 days of healing. Mm-hmm. How, how hard can it be to find 30 minutes, Helen? Yeah. You know, and in the end it'd be like, I think I was on like the 28th day and I can recall being in the bath and like my five-year-old knocking outside, can I come in? And you're just like, go away, I just want 30 minutes. Then I let him in to come to use the toilet. Next thing I know, he's in the bath with me. <laughs> you know, but I did it. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sure I gained stuff from it, whether it was just little aspects of making time for yourself each day. Uh, and funnily enough, a, a few days ago, actually, I was actually thinking perhaps it's time to do Reiki 2, level 2. I don't know. I feel that I just need some spiritual input because it's been my thing for years and I've always sat in circle and physical circles and stuff like that. And I think I kind of got the information I needed. I was seeking. I wanted to know stuff. And then you're content with it all, if, if you know what I'm saying. And I've not really seeked I find if I get very low, um, I've got a book about spiritual stuff. And it's one of these books that you just flip open and whatever page it on, it always resonates with what's going on. And it's like, ah, yeah, just just needed that little bit of spiritual growth. But then I, I used to love going to the spiritualist churches. Is that something you do? Because, I mean, I know you, you do mediumship as well, don't you? So, yeah, I do. Something. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I haven't been to spiritualist church. It was for me. It, it, I didn't really feel called to go to the spiritualist church. I did my training with a, a really lovely village wise woman in the deep, dark, kind of West Cornish moors and went on to different kind of non-spiritualist church affiliated groups. But as I say, it's, it's you know, it's a, a different road to the same destination, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I used to love going to the church just to hear somebody's address, you know, their spiritual story. But then I think you start taking it a step further and then like everything politics become involved yeah Yeah. to to the point um it was more about your ethos who taught you um you would watch people wouldn't you and you would think i don't think you're very good and i don't like judging people because i know i've been up there and done that it's bloody hard to stand up in front of a room full of people and try and demonstrate mediumship you know i did it a few times and it was something I really wanted to do, but I think I probably let ego get in the way because all I'm thinking about is what are they all thinking about me? What if I mess up? Blah, blah, blah. blah. Whereas in small groups and stuff, you could deliver some wonderful messages. Um, but I would watch people and it's too, too many things. I think when you see mediums a lot these days, we've got a granny here. We've all got a dead granny. As you get into it, you start thinking, well, hang on a minute. I want some evidence. Mm-hmm. I want some evidence of you know, something that nobody else will understand. And and in my time, I have seen some amazing mediums that have just given that essential piece of evidence, you know. And I'm not saying that these people aren't trying, but I think that's more the old school way. They feel like they've got a bit of psychic awareness, just like giving you a general reading, isn't it? I, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree on so many points there. I mean, for me... I was trying to be diplomatic. I, I struggle with the politics of a lot of these groups. I want to move away from that hierarchical, mm. you know, I trained through so-and-so, and I think we all have a connection to this stuff. 
it might manifest in a different way. We might have different levels of ability in different areas, but everyone's got a connection to that energy. It's not exclusive or dependent on who you trained with and which particular, you know, which particular method you trained in. But yeah, totally agree with you about the, the quality of it as well. So coming from a hypnotherapy background, if I put my, my hypnotherapy hat on, I've been in some groups with people where, for example, I just think about an event we went to um, near Plymouth with a very much older lady. You know, this kind of twin set and pearls, spiritualist medium yes. <laughs> kind of vibe going on. And bear in mind we're in Plymouth, which is a massive naval port. She was saying things like, well, I've got somebody here in um, in a sailor's uniform. That, that must have been like 95% of the people in the room. You know, it was, it was kind of cold reading. And then, like you say, you get people who bring out the most specific, incredible, detailed evidence that, you know, and sometimes even the people in the room don't know it. Yeah, yeah. And, it, so, and it's not supposed to make sense to the people in the room, is it? It's got to make sense to the individual. But, um, you know, I, I know um, a couple, well, I know quite a few really, really good mediums, and they should be doing more, but it's one of those things they perhaps don't feel that's their calling, you know. But one lady I used to sit in a circle with, and I watch her give readings and her love for the spirit world and organising things, and I think, yeah, you know, people have got so much out of what you have created, you know, events and stuff like that and i think we both kind of started at the same time but it's not my calling um yeah. it's not my calling i'm i'm very excited like when my photography studio is going to be done in a couple of months that um we'll go back to doing a physical mediumship circle okay. have, you, have you sat in one of those oh no i haven't actually i have to say i haven't always wanted to Will you just come and join us? Yeah, yeah. I think you would love it. I think that's a different sort of stuff all over again. And, um, you know, our mutual friend Helen used to sit with us as well. And to me, going to those evenings was just out of this world. You come home absolutely buzzing because I've seen the table flying around the room, the trumpet going in there. So many things happening, being touched, and that energy, to feel that energy... And it just, to me, it's just like, this is no more than a shell. When we go, we go, you know, Absolutely. we leave the shell, shell behind, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but it's a funny old thing, because there's so many people that are just like, well, when we're dead, we're dead. Yeah, and it's, um, I've never I've never kind of understood that. It was a bit strange, I suppose, again, coming from my family. My mum, I'm not denigrating at all. We have very different personalities. My mum's very stoic, grounded, um, you know, just you do your job you come home and, and it's all very practical my dad's side of the family completely different so it passes down from dad's side of the family but mum not at all and she you know she, she, I don't think she believes that when you're dead you're dead but this was so beyond her realm of experience and there's me from a kid going well I want to know what happens I want to know I want to know why this is happening like this and what's the and she just couldn't quite fathom what I was about I don't think I think it was a bit much for her in that spiritual sense but yeah it's it's fascinating to listen to people that you know that when you're dead you're dead it just it kind of doesn't make any sense to me really on any level no and i think because i've had out of body experiences and stuff and from a young age you know um it just tells me and you know you can tell other people this but they again they need to experience it themselves to kind of believe it don't they and i suppose Definitely. some people seek it and some people they really don't care and each is our own path isn't it really yeah. 
absolutely and there's, you know, there's no judgment in that it's just it's what think, we're don't doing you think ultimately it is the question on everybody's mind isn't it what happens when we die is there a god i would have thought so or what's what's the nature of reality i mean i can remember being really young and pondering the well, whole what's the nature of reality thing I, and all I like of that the, you know i want to know what it's yeah. all about so i would have thought so but I, i'm not sure i think there are people in the world that just want to get up and do the practical and, and it's probably a good thing it's probably a good counterbalance to all this you know thinking about so life what do you think is is the nature of our reality then? Oh my oh, god, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a deep that's question. Isn't it? Um, yeah, I don't even know how to begin answering that. How do, how do you answer that? I don't know. Yeah. Just yeah. other than that, we're it's all energy based ultimately. And that comes, you know, that underpins all of it. What happens when we die? I really don't know because so many people have had my own experiences in surgery and my own, you know, like you were saying, out of body experiences and things. But I've also heard people have different experiences. So, so how we tie that up? I, don't, I just can't even answer that with any degree of authority and accuracy. No, I'm not no, sure no. I can really. Maybe I, I think we're here for growth. I think we oh, are yeah. here for a spiritual lesson. And I, try, I do try when things happen. It's like, well, what did I learn from that? And sometimes things just happen, and there's there's no learning. It's just like learn to get over shit, you know. <laughs> You're a self-reflector then, so um, not, everybody's, not everybody's a self-reflector. Not everybody has that kind of ability to reflect and learn and adapt and, and develop. It, the saying of our era, which I love, is it is what it is. Yeah. Because it's just pure acceptance, isn't it? And... <laughs> if you can get to that point, it's not, always, it's not always easy to do that. And it's not... And, and sometimes... I think we need to go through that grief process or that anger process. I think that's a healthy part of the whole process, you know, to suppress that. Suppression's not a good thing. It always explodes somewhere. But to process that and then, you know, work on, on that is, is a good aim. So when you did, are you still doing hypnotherapy now, are you? Yeah, I don't do general hypnotherapy anymore. I incorporate hypnotherapy into the way I teach people to, to kind of access their intuition. So it's I'm not like, it's not general stopping smoking or that kind of hypnotherapy. Right, okay. But when when you was, was that like the kind of things people come to you for? So years ago, yeah. I mean when I first started talking donkeys years ago now, like eighteen years ago when I first had a, a kind of general practice in that area, that was yeah, very much it would be stopping smoking, general weight loss, all those things, fears, phobias fear of flying those kind of things right and it, and it works doesn't it it does oh, it really, it's it really does work is it retraining the mind or so it's kind of working with your unconscious mind and retraining that so if you think about you have if you think about your mind like an iceberg you've got the tip of your iceberg which is your conscious mind where you're dealing with you know what time your kid's got to get to school the dentist appointment your car being booked in for the MOT all that day-to-day -day stuff and then you've got your unconscious mind below the surface that stores all of your memories and your learning and and your experiences and and it, it kind of throws those memories up it's running the show really and so when you're in hypnosis that conscious part of your mind kind of takes the back seat and we can access and kind of work with the unconscious part of your mind to present new ideas and new ways of kind of behaving and feeling and thinking to the conscious part of your mind. So and, and do you, it's most, blah, blah, blah. 
when um you know the, the courses and the stuff that you're doing is, is it more all about women no it's not i don't i don't exclusively say it's about women it's just that i end up with a lot of women in my circles which i really enjoy it's lovely but yeah it's not i haven't excluded men from that it just tends to be women that turn up to the circles and their and their classes and things yeah it is a lot more than men i think it always has been yeah perhaps i wonder why perhaps it's more acceptable in women's circles perhaps we can admit that i don't know we should ask people really women's circles are big things aren't they they are a big thing yeah they are a big thing i've been in a few myself and they're really really incredible it's really hard to describe what happens in those circles sort of alchemy because it's not about feedback it's not about counseling or coaching or being given strategy it's it's about community and being given space to process your own stuff and come to your own conclusions within that community and it's it sounds really you know what's the point of that but actually it's alchemical it's really powerful incredibly potent stuff yeah yeah i mean i used to run a small circle and it was amazing like after a few weeks i think a couple of people turned up late and they'd had they'd had a a shocking day and everybody was just chatting and a bit teary and it was like do you know what let's just tonight let's just have a natter and a drink so we did that for the two hours but it was so therapeutic and you know you do build build something with these women don't you because most of them are there for spiritual growth as well. They want to know more. And I mean, let's face it, you can't have this conversation with everybody. They're not open to it. I've told no, people about the experiences. They think I'm nuts. Not at all. And there's that fear, isn't there? There's still that fear, even though I think it's becoming more acceptable to talk about these experiences. It's, it's the old witch wound showing up, isn't it? Where, you know, if you go back a few hundred years if you spoke about anything like this you'd have been hung for it we would so, have been burnt yeah yeah and it's not a surprise that there's that sort of hardwired probably epigenetic fear within us that we're, so epigenetic is kind of like how we how we interpret our environment and our behaviors and how that affects our genes and it can be passed down from generation to generation so we have this kind of impact on our, our genes and, and it affects how we interpret future experiences even if they happened a few generations ago so that would um i know i've got a good friend of mine as well she does um past life regression do you do that as well yeah yeah absolutely and i mean yeah. you know my fr- my friend she is woo wooing out there and i love her to bits and she says it how it is and she she gets a lot of work and um but lots of people would say, what a fruit loop. Well, yeah. you know, when I went to see her last summer, she's had an ankle problem and she said, oh, don't worry about that. So it's getting better. She said, but basically she said, I was um, in Africa four lifetimes ago and I broke my ankle. And then she just carried on talking like it was so normal. <laughs> but, they, that. <laughs> but that was a part of, um, you know, revisiting, I don't know, um, I, f- I find it fascinating that we can have these incarnations, but I suppose part of the consciousness is going to bring back memories. It must yeah, hold memories. It must hold memories, and also, then you don't. You also, I don't think we know whether it's coming from actual past life experiences or whether it's inherited kind of genetic memory, you know, ancestral memory that comes through, or a combination of both. And and ultimately, 
when I see people I explain that's my perspective and does it really matter if you get a, a healing effect from it? So, so, you know, it can be, I think it'd be either or. Yeah. yeah. So, so are you practicing at the moment as a healer? So energy healing, no, I'm focusing, well, I'm, I'm seeing some private clients and I have done, yeah. had talk, talk to us about so. your energy work because this is what you're buzzing about at the moment, isn't it? So, yeah, it's, well, it's also, it's energy work, but it's also, I, my passion really is teaching other people how to access it. So I do see some one-to-one -one clients and I've had legacy clients even through the kind of mainstream nutrition years that I've been seeing forever, really, for the last 15 years. But yeah, my passion really is teaching other people how to access that energy and that intuition and how to tap into that so they can create healing for themselves and, and you know, experience their own psychic abilities to their full potential. And once you know, I mean, like I, I always explain it, I tried getting my partner to feel energy and I, I will try it again one day it's not it's not important at the moment <laughs> but um you know the whole thing when you've got to play with a ball I can feel yeah. it now when you've got the energy ball in your hands yeah. and then when you're working with people you you would stand opposite them put your hands back and slowly push them in and the other person would do it for you and then you start feeling that energy yeah and I always found it fascinating when people do that and they're like oh my god oh my god i can feel it and then they learn if somebody's behind them you can feel their presence in your aura and stuff like that i think when you start awakening and developing it's a magical time isn't it just unraveling all these senses that you've always had yeah it's, it's magical and see other people do that really lights me up so when they get it for themselves yeah so rather than having to go through a middle person to you know a middleman to kind of interpret what's going on for them and sometimes you know readings are brilliant sometimes they can give you a bit of objectivity but when you can start to do that for yourself and people start doing that and they start accessing it direct rather than needing somebody else to interpret it for them that's the bit that really sparks me and lights me up yeah well it's a great gift to be able to share really isn't it yeah because if you're able to well i mean you've got so many things you could teach i i just think experiencing that whole energy and i mean i would try like with the tuning forks um and my other half he cannot feel that can you and, not? You know, he cannot feel that he must be dead i say to him you must be you know above his third eye and i just don't because i can sense that really well and even the lady I was looking after, and sadly she passed away in November, um, she wasn't a believer, but when I held that above the third eye, she's like, oh, God, I can feel that. I can feel the full, the false, and... It's amazing, isn't it, how, how some people are more sensitive to that energy than others, and how some people just can't feel it at all. Yeah, yeah. And more sensitive to the environment. I, I suppose if you really want to learn to do it, you can. Um you know i'll have to go on to my other half and say right you'll have to practice this one day you'll feel it but you know my ex always thought i was a bit barking mad and then he became quite interested when his father died and he sat in circle once and he said this was um physical circle he said someone's been holding my hand for the last 10 minutes but do you know what when the circle finished two hours later when he could let his argumentative brain come in oh no he just imagined all of that and he was Googling things, why the light changes when you're sitting in the dark and everything like that. But 
everything he just experienced and what have you was just taken over by his, I don't know, lateral thinking mind. His rational brain, if you know. Yeah, yeah, the rational brain. But that's that's, some people are always going to be like that, aren't they? They're always going to be like that. And um, and I think that's that's maybe where I'm a bit quirky, is that I can do the rational thing quite well, and I can do the academic thing, but there's also that energy, spiritual side too. And I love it when those two things can complement each other rather than oppose. So you can, yeah. you can kind of draw the two together. It reminds me of when, um, when I had my son, we had some incredible poltergeist activity in our house. Oh, did you? Oh, it's, oh my gosh. It was, uh, I remember the first first night it happened, I mean, he was he was a tiny baby, newborn then, lying in bed with my partner, his dad, and heard a huge amount of crashing, woke up and the books were coming off the shelf like that, mm. one after the other. It was terrific. It was the first experience. And he sat up and I was like, oh my God, I've just watched the books come off the shelf. And he went, oh, the shelf was just loose. I was like, no, the books have just come off. They don't come off the shelf like that. But he, he explained that away. And then a few nights later, we were staying, we were actually buying a house at the time. And we were staying with his dad. And um, I was walking into the bathroom and I had this huge crash on the wall. And I looked down and there was this weird sculpted bit of wood. And I was thinking, where did that come from? I don't understand what that is. It's not like any of the coving or anything around here. And uh, his dad came out and he said, what's that crash? I said, well, it's this bit of wood. I went, oh, my God, that's the top of the grandfather clock from over there. So that had flown vertically across the, um, horizontally even, literally right. hit the wall. And then every time they went out, the whole house would fuse. So, really? But only when I was on my own. Never did it when they were there. And it was, it was a modern, you know, circuit board. Shouldn't have blown the whole house, but it would literally be within 10 minutes of them going out to play football or whatever they were doing, the whole house would fuse. It was really terrifying. I remember being really, really scared. And now I go into houses like that and help other people deal with that stuff. But at the time, I just remember being terrified. And we had, it was like, it was the 90s, so I had a corded phone. <laughs> Didn't even have a mobile to go and stand outside. <laughs> and I remember phoning my mum and saying, can you come pick me up, please? Because they've got the car and I'm here with this baby. No, the, the fuse box is really high up on the, the ceiling so you have to drag ladders out from the garage to get up to it and um can, you know can you come and pick me up so i've got this baby here can't do anything with him and we're um i've got no lighting and things flying around the house really scary experience wow i like things like that i, re I get really i like movies like that and i was listening to richie allen earlier and we was talking um he had mark windows on his show today and he was basically they were talking about like um oh what what do you call it when you get somebody that has to get the demons out exorcism oh, exorcist, yeah yeah so you know some of the top religions the catholics and stuff they've all got their own exorcists so if people are in the church and they the way I think as well, if people believe that there are demons that we need exorcists, then surely, but then I suppose the people that are religious, they do believe in God and that you probably yeah. do go somewhere else. But um, yeah, he, he was talking about basically like when some people drink and people say they call it spirits, don't they? Because yeah. they drink, they turn into people that they're like nothing like really, yeah. but that's a, that's a time when the entity can jump in and, and take over. And vulnerable, yeah. yeah. Vulnerable. 
it's one of the things we teach in spirit release and psychic when we're teaching other people spirit release which is kind of pc up-to-date term for for sort of exorcisms less sensationalist and um yeah we teach people that when with their psychic protection when you have alcohol so i'd never let anybody sit in a circle when they've been drinking or you know when they've been taking anything that's going to affect their level of consciousness because you are more vulnerable yeah yeah absolutely yeah so and um, because you've just done um a workshop haven't you like standing in your psychic power or I did a psychic protection workshop. So yes, kind of, yes. yeah, How, give, give us a brief of that. Oh, what, psychic protection or the workshop? or no, protection. protection. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when you think about psychic protection, I think, first of all, you've got to come at it from a perspective of understanding that energy underpins everything. So that, you know, this desk in front of me is 99.9% .9 empty space vibrating rapidly. We should really go through it, but we don't. There's this energy glue that holds it together and the same with us and we have an energy body in kind of layers out here and it gets more and more dense until we get towards our physical body so our physical body is like the densest layer and we get information that comes in and hits our energy body and then it will feed through to our nervous system and we interpret it and we also transmit energy with psychic protection it's really about learning to control that interaction between your nervous system and your energy field and learning how you can use that to reinforce and also how self-knowledge really protects you as well so the less manipulable you are the more protected you are so a lot of it's about psychology it's about boundaries it's about you know being able to stand in your own authority and being able to advocate for yourself so that's an overview of it. Obviously, the, the workshop that we did then was kind of six hours of really going through that and going through the technical how to work with your energy to protect yourself and clear your space and maintain the balance. And also talking about the things that we've just been talking about, like how alcohol and different, um, you know, different drugs, different medications can interact. So if it affects your nervous system, it affects your energy. So how, you know, how that impacts and what you can do to to manage your protection if you're going to a situation where you might be vulnerable so that was that i mean we have got the spirit release two-day training coming up as well that's in june that helen and i helen chapman that you were talking about earlier and i are running and that's much more in depth about actually kind of working things and moving more than dealing with things like i was describing that we had in the home when my son was young right oh i'll have to find out more about that I'm just aware of the time. We've probably got about five minutes when the music comes in. Um, so I just want to say before any any music comes on, Helen Mantle, you can find her on Facebook. Do you have a website or anything, Helen? Website's going on. We've actually got a kind of um, a, a proper online community separate website away from Facebook that I'm putting out on the 8th of May. But at the moment, the Enchanted community on Facebook is the best place to find us and check out what we're doing. There's lots of little live videos and snippets and things on there that you can find out more about what we're doing and get more of a flavour. Can you change your bloody meditation time, please? <laughs> well, it's Monday, it's Monday bad. <laughs> well, no, do you know, any time for me, it's always like, oh, I can't do it then, I can't do it then. I always think it will be a nice idea. Um, no, it's, it's a, it is a great idea. It is something I would like to implement in my life. And I'm going to blame my other half now because I, I've got a massive like photo frame that I painted black here to go up above my wall, above my computer. And any ideas and things, I, I like to write on them 
but it's been sat there for about nine months because it's down there I can't write on it and I need things in front of me I need to visually see things and when I'm flying I, th I think I'm in a quite good place at the moment I've had two really lazy nice days and I accept that now. There would be a time I would have felt really guilty. You are listening to nothing. Speak and, Free um, Radio, like say, the, the free speech internet radio platform. Cleansing, whatever. Realizing what to let hold on. Oh, everyone, this is the bad choice to What to let go of and stuff. Join me you know, every Saturday on Eastern USA um, right here yeah, on Speak Free Radio for some of the latest insights and observations that come through. And it, I mean, it broke the community, to be honest, to be fair. And you get to the point, you think, do you know what? Inside the as sad as I am for that, I was heartbroken. I've got to let that go. That's not my child. Things like this happen right all over the place. Radio. And this is doing me no good. Yeah. It just upset me so much. You're listening to speak yeah. you know? and if you're empathic, it really can drag you down. Oh, my God, yeah. I think that's been a big thing about the last few years, actually, hasn't it? The, you know, I've had to really take a step back and learn not to take on other people's stuff and not to, you know, to really define what's what's my stuff to deal with and what's theirs. And it can be if, you're, if your tendency is to be compassionate and so to care about what happens, rushing in and taking it all on can be a real thing. Right yeah, massively, Manifest massively. And it's about, you know, appreciating you need your own space as well, we don't you? I say, um, you know, um, I love my own company, Jesus Helen. It's, <laughs> it's, nice, so it's nice chatting to you, you know. And I, I know yeah. it's taking a radio interview to have a catch. <laughs> but no, I'm really like, my mum's like, well, should I pop around? I'm like, oh, she's like, you've got a day to yourself. I'm like, Thank you. So we chatted on the phone. Like, I just like my own company. And, you know, I'm not worried about sitting down with the TV on. I'm just quite happy. Down, not sort of thinking aloud it's just frustrating that i have to have this discussion especially with people like monica and alfred who bravely took a stand and paid the ultimate price that sven longshanks is facing as well now uh, as a result of 
telling what they believe to be uh, the truth that they have discovered. Can I just but, interject? Yeah, go ahead. We, we did not pay the ultimate price because that we're still breathing and we're still alive. <laughs> so we're alive and kicking here. <laughs> That's true, yes. You I know, suppose. Monica, Monica, I was about to jump in and say that also. I was going to say that when it was my turn. But that's true. The ultimate price is when you stop breathing. And all those people who are afraid to speak 